Good morning. It's great to be back here again. Kathy and I were thinking uh, when we were flying here from upstate New York, I think the last time we were with you was five years ago. Um, so it's been a while. Some of you don't even remember us. Some of you weren't here at that time, but we're glad that we can all be here with you this morning. I'd like to read from the Gospel of Luke this morning. From chapter 3, if you have a Bible, Luke chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 2 through 6, Luke chapter 3, 2 through 6. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending us this word that testifies about your son who is the word through whom all things were created. We thank you that by the Holy Spirit you inspired Luke to write these words and that same Holy Spirit dwells among us this morning to open this word to each one of our lives and to convince us of your truth and to encourage us with your love. Oh, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your work among us this morning. We pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start out by thanking the, the worship team. Uh, they did a great job leading us this morning. And uh, one of the things I really appreciated was the, the fact that Christ is at the center of all the songs that we sang this morning and the good news. Um, do you have the slide of the uh, map of the world. Did I skip that? There it is. This is where Bosnia and Herzegovina is situated, for those of you who don't know. Um, if you can find Italy on the map, you see it hanging into the, into the Mediterranean there. Um, you just skip over the Adriatic Sea, and there's Bosnia-Herzegovina. The amazing thing about Bosnia-Herzegovina is that it's at the center of... Uh, many historical dividing lines in the world. It's at the center between the split between the Eastern Christian churches and the Roman Catholic Church that happened uh, a thousand years ago in 1054. Um, so in Bosnia, we have many, many Orthodox churches and we have many, many Roman Catholic churches uh, in, the, in our same country. Uh, Bosnia is nestled right on the dividing line from where Islam expanded into Europe from Turkey during the time of the Turkish Empire. And so in Bosnia-Herzegovina, 40% of the population is Muslim. And maybe about, if you count up all of the traditional Christians together, they add up to about 45% of the population. Um, it's also, uh, during the, the Cold War of the last century, 
It was on the dividing line between the East and West. It was part of, at that time, Yugoslavia, after the Second World War. Uh, and Yugoslavia was socialist, but it was not part of the Soviet Union, Soviet bloc influence. They were separate from the, from the Russian influence. And so, um, even though they were socialist, they, uh, people from Yugoslavia were allowed to travel around the world. And many traveled to places like Australia or Germany to work and send money back home to their families. And um, unusual for, for many socialist countries, uh, you could start a private business in the former Yugoslavia. It was harder to run a private business than work for a public one, but many people did it because they enjoyed the freedom that was involved with that. And, uh, and so Bosnia-Herzegovina is right on the dividing line between the, uh, the economic philosophies of socialism and uh, capitalism. But one dividing line that has not passed through Bosnia-Herzegovina, at least not yet, um, is that's one part of Europe where it's as if the Reformation never happened. And that breaks my heart because this year's the 500th anniversary of the, uh, of the uh, start of the Protestant Reformation in 1517. And uh, I just urge you, pastor, and you as a church, uh, sometime around October 31st as a church, do something really big for that. Make it a celebration. Uh, and, and until that time, as a church, think about what are the blessings that the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation has brought to the world and to our own very lives. And then celebrate that when, uh, when that time of year comes around this fall. I really urge you to do that. I plan to do that in many different ways throughout this year in Bosnia-Herzegovina. Because like I said, most people there don't know what it means to be a Protestant Christian. Most even Christians there don't know the essence of the good news that we have heard and that we celebrated this morning in our songs. So I mentioned what happened 500 years ago. Our text talks about an event that happened 2,000 years ago to a man named John who was in the desert. And often when you read about the wilderness in Scripture, people go to the wilderness to be alone. And it was in solitude that an amazing thing happened. It says, the word of God came to John. The word of God came to John. And when the word of God came to John, it changed his life. And he began to preach, preach in the regions around the Jordan River. And uh, he chose those regions because he was preaching that people should repent. And as a sign of their repentance, they should be baptized or washed in the Jordan River, if you will. Um, and the amazing thing about John, even when he was conceived and born, uh, his life was prophesied about that. He would be the forerunner for, for our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. But his ministry was even prophesied 700 years before by Isaiah the prophet. And those are the words that were read this morning where it says, he is like the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now that language is a little unusual for us, but let me tell you something that happened to us two summers ago to maybe help you understand it. Two summers ago, 
Pope Francis came to Sarajevo in Bosnia. And uh, the Bosnians heard about it a few months before the event actually happened. And the whole country went into preparation. Uh, naturally, the Catholic churches were very involved and engaged in planning the different events that would happen. But even the government was involved in renovating uh, different things for the Pope's visit. Uh, different Bosnian citizens were asked to, to be a part of it. The Pope, uh, during the mass that he celebrated in the stadium, sat in a beautifully woodcrafted chair that was crafted by two Bosnian brothers who were famous uh, woodcrafters. Uh, and the amazing thing about it is, is they were Muslim woodcrafters. But for this event, they, they used all of their skill and art to make a beautiful throne for when, for when the Pope came to uh, Sarajevo. And, um, and this is what John is talking about here. The Lord, the emperor, is coming to visit his realm. And we need to make the realm ready for his visit. And the first thing you make ready when a Lord comes in majesty is the roadways. If a Lord comes with his army, he comes on a stallion or maybe in a, in a, in a military chariot. Uh, and so uh, he's, not, he's not coming for comfort, but he's coming for speed. But in this case, he's talking about the coming of the king in majesty. And when a king comes in majesty, he has a very elegant conveyance. It could be a, a throne carried on the, on the shoulders of servants or it could be a, a very elaborate gold-encrusted chariot, which would take teams of horses to carry. And as a result, because he's coming in majesty, he cannot just come on any roadway or highway. He has to come in a conveyance which uh, is suitable for that. And so you have to make crooked roads straight. And you can't have steeply... Uh, uh, roads that go upward steeply or downward steeply because the conveyance itself would, would uh, fall over and of course the emperor could be injured and that would be terrible. So John is saying, the Lord is coming, we need to prepare a way for him and he's inviting the people that are his hearers to be a part of the coming of the Lord. And I love that because I really believe that John's message was not so much for Christ's first coming, but it was for Christ's second coming. Because we know when Christ came the first time, he came in humility, he came in the manger. And when he, uh, in fact, when he met John at the Jordan to be baptized, he came on his own two feet and he came in humility and as a servant. Um, but there is a day coming that we all are looking forward to or should be looking forward to when he's coming in glory. And uh, he's inviting the people to be ready for that coming and also to be a part of making that coming happen. So 2,000 years ago, the word of God came to John in a powerful way. And it gave him his message and it gave him his ministry. And he began to prepare people for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another anniversary that you don't know about happened 30 years ago. 30 years ago, last fall, I was a senior 
studying finance at the University of Toledo. And uh, one evening, one Thursday evening, 30 years ago, I was sitting in the student union building at the University of Toledo, and I was at an InterVarsity Christian Fellowship meeting. And as I was sitting at that meeting, I was listening to the India team. The India team was a group of five InterVarsity college students from different campuses in Ohio who got together and did training. And then that summer, they went over to India on a short-term mission project. And before they had left, they had asked us to uh, pray about their time there. They had told us a little bit about what they planned to do. And so the, this fall meeting was their chance to come back to our chapter of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and tell us what happened in India. And uh, that was a really pregnant time in my life. I was soon to graduate. I was expecting to go to work with my father in finance and uh, insurance. Uh, I had been born in Toledo, raised in Toledo. I figured that I would probably marry and die in Toledo, Ohio. But you know what? I was okay with that because that was my home and I loved my home. But um, as I was listening to the India team, uh, their, their, their uh, presentation was really amazing. In between the slides that they had, they had the Kodak carousel projector. In between the slides that they showed of their ministry, they interspersed those slides with other photographs that they had taken while they were there. And these were photographs of a sampling of the millions of idols that the people of India worship. I remember one was a slide of a, inside a taxi cab and on the dashboard, the driver had an altar with a few of his favorite gods that he prayed to for protection. Another was a slide of a family's special nook in their home where they put the family gods. Another was a slide of the marketplace. And of course, one part of the marketplace, there's the fruit and vegetables, another part is the meat. And, but the, this one had a huge part that was just for idols. And I remember watching these slides. And as I watched these slides, I remember saying to God in my soul, oh God, the people of India are so religious. They're so pious. When they hear about Jesus Christ, just imagine what kind of awesome worshipers they would be. And as soon as I finished saying that in my soul to God, the speaker said, and if you tell them about Jesus, they say immediately, this is great. And they'll run out to the market and they'll buy a little statue of Jesus and they'll put him next to all of the other gods on their altar or on their special place. And I remember when he said that, my heart, broke. And it was like I was filled with a holy jealousy. And I said, oh God, if you want me to go someplace to tell others about Jesus as he really is, here I am. I'm available. And I believe that that evening 30 years ago was when the word of the Lord came to me in a special way. And it changed the direction of my life. Kathy and I serve in Bosnia-Herzegovina in Sarajevo at our ministry center. You saw our, our highlights uh, this morning from that. 
And uh, uh, one of the things that uh, we do is, is we work there in downtown. I work mostly, mostly with young professionals. We have other people, as you could see on the video, that work with children full-time. Kathy does cooking classes and other things. But Kathy and I are also blessed to be released to go to a village every week called Vadesh, where we work with a local Bosnian couple. And the couple's name is Mario and Diana. I think I have their picture on one of the slides. Mario and Diana are from the city of Zenica. And they were uh, very engaged in their church there, uh, maybe in some of the ways that you're very engaged in your church here. And one of the things that the church did Zenica was the county seat and a county that's very poor economically. The unemployment rate there is at least 40% in their county. And um, a number of years ago, they did a program where they sent teams to the outlying towns in the county, and they gave workshops to help people improve their employment prospects. So they were workshops on resume writing, um, Excel, uh, word processing, just different practical skills that people can put into their resume. Um, and then how to write the resume. And uh, Mario and Diana were one of the uh, couples that was engaged in this ministry, and they went to a town in the mountains called Vadesh. And Vadesh, before the war, was uh, a happening place. There was an active mine there. There was an active steel, uh, steel mill there. But since the war, Vadesh is, is a devastated town. The steel industry is no more. The mine is closed. They say it's not economically feasible to, to pull minerals out of the mines around Vadesh anymore. And um, everybody that has been able to leave Vadesh for other places, whether it be somewhere else in Bosnia or somewhere else in the rest of the world, has. But while Mario and Diana were there, God spoke to each one of them personally and gave them a burden for, this, for the city of Vadesh. And when they came back to Zenitsa, one day after their individual quiet times, when they were sitting down drinking coffee together, they each shared how God had placed Vadesh as a burden on their heart. And they were amazed that God had so clearly spoken to each one of them. And so then they went and shared that with their church. And their church blessed them and eight years ago, they began to work full-time in Vadesh. And over five years ago, they moved there permanently. And they have a, uh, they're working on a small church plant up there. Kathy and I are able every week to go and work with them, encourage them, help them in their ministry, and, uh, and hope to be a blessing with them. I share that story to say that um, for each one of us, there are times in our lives when the word of God comes. And the question is, when the word of God comes, are we able to receive it? When, uh, when Isaiah talks about John's ministry, he talks about a person saying, prepare the way of the Lord. And I explained that that was like a building, a highway building project. We're preparing an actual way for the king to come into his realm and to inspect his realm and to be seen by the subject in his realm. Um, and when you think about a highway building project, one of the things that you think about is, is just really all the chaos that happens. Uh, how many of you guys, uh, I don't know about in Wisconsin, but in New York this last summer, 
Apparently there were some highway funds available for state roads because it seemed like every two-lane bridge in our part of upstate New York was being replaced this summer. So every time you came to a wide creek or river, uh, there was an extra um, auxiliary bridge and there were lots of construction and dust and heavy machinery. Did you have, have you experienced that around here lately with highway projects? When highway projects happen, chaos happens. And um, um, when we're living in the chaos, we can wonder, what is happening? Is God, is God real? Is, is God in charge? The reason of all the high, highlight videos that I chose this morning, I chose the one that you saw from 2014, was that when we planned our summer program at the Source in downtown Sarajevo, we had our kids' programs all planned, and other things, we had no idea that the floods were coming. But because the floods did happen, God opened new doors of ministry for us. And so, on the one hand, in Bosnia, we were saying, oh, this is awful. Look at the chaos. Look at the destruction that's happening around us. But on the other hand, in spite of that, God was making ways for us to minister that we had never been able to minister before, like that seminar we did for people that were going to help people in the flood-affected areas, giving them um, um, uh, practical help on how to deal with emotional trauma, not only for the people that they were going to visit, but when you're in an area that's been devastated for a long while, then you also have to care for your own soul, or you can get very quickly burned out. And we were able to go to villages that we were never invited to before. And so we, even though it was a devastating time, we're thankful that in the midst of that chaos, God was able to use us and our team in, in great ways. And that's for his glory. So that's when we look at, if we look at this word about this building project and we think of the chaos as being external. But when the word of God comes to us, most of the upheaval that happens is really internal, right? Mario and Diana were both in a place when they were serving in Vadesh to hear God's word to them. And they were in a place as a couple that when they spoke to one another, they could agree, yes, we agree that this is what God has for us. And then their church was in a place when they shared with their church, we believe God is leading us to do that, that the church blessed them and released them to do that, right? And so in their souls, something fundamental happened. Um, sometimes there are times in my life when because of shyness or because of shame, I don't want to speak about Christ. I don't want to uh, minister in Christ's name. Uh, and maybe you've been in, in places like that in your life. You thought, look at me, uh, because of where I'm at, brokenness in my own life or in my family, God can't use me. And I wanna tell you that if you feel that you're in that place, this may be a valley that Jesus wants to fill in for you. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross, it was to cover shame. And it was to fill in those valleys, those cavities in our lives so that we could be people who minister in Christ's name. 
When you look at the New Testament, look at the people that God has called to serve him. Look at the people that God has used to make his name great. Very few of them were honorable people when they were called. Most of them were dishonorable. So if you're in a place where you say, God can't use me, I want to urge you to allow Christ to minister to your soul, to fill in those low valleys and to make them smooth. There are also oftentimes high places in our lives that prevent us from hearing the word of God. I told you what happened that evening 30 years ago, but I didn't tell you what happened that afternoon 30 years ago. I was in the same student union building and I had just finished lunch and I was leaving to go to class. And I ran into somebody from InterVarsity. And I asked them, hey, what's happening at InterVarsity tonight? Because from the time I had come to Christ just over two years before, uh, and I had heard about InterVarsity, I never missed a meeting. I loved the worship, I loved the way that they encouraged one another in their faith, and they encouraged me in my young faith. And so I always look forward to InterVarsity meetings. And the person I asked said, oh, didn't you hear? The India team is coming. And as soon as the person told me that, I remember my whole mood changed. And as I'm walking to class, I'm thinking, oh man, not the India team again. Now those are those guys from those liberal arts colleges around Cleveland. They have stupid majors like social work and anthropology. They have torn, ratty jeans and cruddy sandals and the guys have scraggly beards. I said, you know what? I don't think I'm gonna to go to InterVarsity tonight. And I got to class early, which was my custom, and I sat down at my desk and I was getting my things ready. And as I was sitting there, before anybody else arrived at the classroom, Holy Spirit began to deal with me. Mark, who do you think you are? The same blood that was shed for you was shed for each member of the India team. They're your sister and brothers in Christ. How dare you think that you're better than them? And I remember as Holy Spirit was speaking to me in my soul, it was as if a word was forming in my mind in capital letters the word pride. And I had never seen it before in my life, although I'd been there all the time. And it still is. And I remember thinking, man, I do think I'm better than them. Where, where does that come from? And I asked God, God, I confessed first. I said, God, I don't know why I think I'm better than them. I confess that I do, but I don't know where that come from, comes from. Please forgive me and change me. And I wish I could say that in that moment, a deep love filled me for the India team. It didn't happen. I didn't feel different, but I remember I decided I will go to InterVarsity that night. And it was at that meeting that the word of God came to me in a powerful way. So I share that story only to say that are there mountains in your life that need to come down like pride so that the word of God can come to you and he can begin to use you 
in the plans that he has for you. And if there are mountains in your life, before I mentioned low areas of shame or brokenness, but if there are mountains in your life, maybe it's pride, maybe it's materialism, maybe it's racism. Uh, if Holy Spirit touches an area in your soul and says to you, this is not from the Father, I urge you, don't argue, just agree with him and allow him to begin the work to change you. When Mario and Diana came to Vadesh a number of years ago, the first space they found was this little commercial space. And uh, uh, they rented it out. And the first thing they did was they put a label in the window that said the Evangelical Church of Zenitsa Varash Branch. And they didn't know that living two stories above this space was a woman named Nihada. And Nihada would walk past their space and she saw that sign and she walked past the space a number of times before she summoned the courage to go inside and to introduce herself. And one day she did. She went inside, she introduced herself and she said, uh, hello, my name is Nihada and Mario and Dan introduced themselves. She said, I want to study the Bible with you. And you can imagine, Mario and Diana were ecstatic. They said, of course, we'll study the Bible with you. And Diana agreed to meet with Nihada regularly. They would read a passage together and talk about it. But she said, in the meantime, when you're, if you're reading something that you don't understand, uh, write your questions down and we can talk about them. And Nihada had indicated that she had been reading the Bible for a number of years, but it, it, she didn't understand it. The other thing they did was they asked her a question. They said, Nihada, why do you want to study the Bible? And the reason they asked her this is because they know in Bosnia, if you're named Nihada, that probably means that you come from a Muslim family. And Nihada told them this story. She said, 20 years ago, I was a newlywed. My husband and I were living here in Vadesh. And Vadesh, uh, throughout the war, changed hands a number of times. Sometimes the Muslim forces would take over, other times the Catholic forces would take over. She said, there was one day when the Catholic forces overran Vadesh. And they were going from house to house and apartment to an apartment to find Muslims. Uh, they came to our door. Uh, they found out that we were indeed Muslim. And they began to beat my husband mercilessly before my eyes. And then they dragged him away. She said, I never knew if I was to see him again. They finished clearing the rest of the apartment building. And as they were coming down the stairs, she heard one of the soldiers say to the other, make a note of this apartment. We're going to come back later and have some fun with her. She said in her loneliness and her desperation, she fell down to her knees and she cried out, Jesus, save me. Now I've heard her tell this story many times and it boggles my mind 
Nihada. Of all the names in the universe, the men that just beat up your husband and indicated that they were coming back later to mistreat you, they claim to be Christians. Of all the names in the universe, why did you cry out to Jesus for salvation? But you know what doesn't boggle my mind? Is Jesus answered her prayer. After the soldiers had left the neighborhood, a Croatian couple came to her, an older couple. They said, Nihada, we know that you're in danger. Please come and stay with us. We'll hide you at our home and you'll be safe there. And just so you know, she was reunited with her husband after the war. Uh, he had been sent to a concentration camp and then the Red Cross uh, sent them to uh, refugee camps around Europe. But he was reunited with his wife after the war. But then, for 20 years, Holy Spirit reminded Nihada of her prayer and that Jesus answered it. And during that 20 years, she found a Bible and began to read it. Holy Spirit also touched Mario and Diana to go to Vadesh. And of all of the storefronts in the whole town that they could have chosen, he pointed out to them the one that was just below Nihada's apartment so that they could meet. I share this story to say that God's word is still going out into the world. And the message of John the Baptist is just as fresh today as it was when he preached it 2,000 years ago. Prepare the way of the Lord. The Lord is coming. And he is inviting us to be a part of that coming. But before we can hear and truly receive that word, are there low places in our lives that need to be filled in? Areas of brokenness that need to be healed or shame that need to be covered? Or are there mountains in our souls that need to come down so that we can be men and women that God wants to use in his ministry? If Holy Spirit touches an area of your life and begins to speak to you about it, I, I urge you to allow him to do the work in your life that needs to be done so that we can join together in the mission that God has for all of us to bring back his son. Please pray with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word that goes forth. I thank you for the word that went forth that laid on the heart of the people of this congregation and of this community to start the, the TSU downtown. I thank you for the word that went forth uh, with Pastor Ronsheimer to start this ministry to help restore marriages. Lord, for each one of us, that word will come forth in a different way because you've gifted each one of us in different ways and you will use us in different ways. But I know, God, that you want to use each one of us. So I pray, Holy Spirit, fill in the valleys that need to be filled in. Bring down the mountains in our lives that need to be bring down. 
ways that are crooked, I pray that you will make them straight. Make us your instruments to bring home the King. And we pray these things, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.